0: Hello and welcome to PA Podcast number 20, the very first edition of the podcast for 2017. This week's guest is John Hustleby. He's the head of Lion Trust multi-asset team. And we talked about everything from the outlook for 2017 to why a bond allocation remains important and also perhaps why it may be the right time to reconsider absolute return. A new Year, thank you for being here on the first episode of the podcast for 2017. It's likely to be quite an exciting year if nothing else, and, and hopefully a little less exciting than 2016. How how are you seeing things? Where are you where are you interested at the moment? I mean uh, 2016
1: I don't think it was too unusual from any other years. I've been in this business over, over, over 30 years now. And uh, you know I think one thing that you, you learn and is and keep repeated is that forecasting is a little bit of a a mugs game in that respect. You know, the the events of what happened last year, obviously mainly on the political front, you know, couldn't have been forecasted at the beginning of the year. Um, And, uh, you know, I I suppose uh, in having a a stellar year of performance probably wasn't forecast. And there was obviously a a tad of luck involved with that as well, particularly for sterling investors. I mean, um, we run target risk portfolios from low risk to high risk. And anywhere from around about, I suppose, 6% to around about 12%, investors have benefited from the fall in sterling, the devaluation of sterling. A devaluation of sterling was certainly not expected in, or this time last year. Um, You know, the referendum came along, and um, I didn't see too many people thinking that we would be voting out, and, uh, you know, sterling would uh, sort of devalue itself against all the major currencies, obviously dollars and euros in in particular so there's been a been a slice of luck so our investment sort of process the way I think about the world is very much thinking about the long-term trends and what are those long-term trends and those long-term trends boil down to two things what's the path of growth and what's the path of inflation and uh, if you can work that out sort of chart your calls from there then that helps you with your portfolio construction over sort of the medium to to longer term so i think what we've learnt in 2016 moving on to 2017 in terms of you know what can we expect i think it's fair to say we can expect higher growth higher inflation and because of that higher rates higher interest rates with the federal reserve already putting up rates you know uh, last month but uh, I should think that other central banks, as the year goes on and then growth continues, inflation continues, they'll be under some pressure to start putting uh, interest rates up. So, you know, we're closer to the sort of rate normalization world. We're closer to, uh, or perhaps we are at, and time will tell, uh, the sort of beginning or the end of the, of the uh, bond bull market, which has gone on for 30 years plus now.
0: And I suppose the, 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 the point as well is, is that in, in a, a region like the ECB or in a central bank like the ECB, for example, which has a specific inflation-only mandate, if inflation does tick up, it could well be that they surprise markets by the, the, the rate at which they raise or that they, they close the tapering, especially if you've got that fight with Germany kind of boiling to the surface as well.
1: Yes, that's right. I think, um, you know, um, you know
0: I, I, I don't, we don't tend
1: to get too carried away with, day to day news um, you know I think there is a, a lot of noise in the marketplace. I think we look at things and think to ourselves, you know does that really change our view? Does it really change our paths? Does it really change the trend of inflation, the trend of growth and you know I can think of two or three occasions or um, you know over the last three or four years where you know, you've seen a major change. You know, the oil price falling from $120 down to $60 in the summer of 2014. I'd say that was a pretty major change. The oil price fell again at the end of 2015 from $60 to $30. I'm talking rough round numbers, but you understand what I mean. I, I'd say they are major events which are, which are changing things. At the moment, uh, I think the market probably is very much fully up to speed with where they think growth is going to be and where they think inflation is going to be. We are just trying to, you know, the world is trying to to grapple with, get to grips with a world that has been dominated by deflation and now trying to convince itself that uh, it's a world that's going to be dominated by reflation. And that obviously has implications for, for asset classes, uh, particularly, obviously, bonds, which I'm sure we'll get on to talk about.
0: Before we get on to that, uh, what, what is your clearly we've had this bond bull market for for thirty years and, and we've had kind of a very specific type of 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 world for for a while and, and there are a couple of investors that haven't really seen much other than that from from a from a fund selection point of view from a an interrogating the ability of managers to deal with these kinds of things, how do you go about that particularly from a F- from a, a point of view of finding new managers as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've been, as I said, I've been doing this uh, in the industry for 30 years and been doing fund selection now for over 25 years and certainly in the retail space because. I think it's fair to say that, uh, you know, the retail space was very much in its infancy in the early 90s when I first sort of uh, picked up a a fund and and tried to work out how a fund manager was was running funds. And I think, you know, the industry has come on leaps and bounds and matured and and very much established and perhaps fair to say established itself as a a profession in that respect as well. And and therefore, you know, um, myself and also my co-manager, Paul Kim, you know, we We try to avoid sort of the riskiness of new fund managers. Uh, We're not trying to uh, talent spot. I think in in sort of the early years, that's what you were doing. There there was the lack of track record, the lack of experience, um, the, the lack of knowledge. But I think these days you don't really, you know, with the choice that you have out there, why do you need to take the risk? I don't believe Uh, there's any such thing as consistency of performance. I think if you want active management, you can get outsized returns against the market, but you have to find them over the long term. You have to be patient. So if I don't believe in consistency of performance, what do I believe in? I believe in consistency of investment process and style. And the only way to find that consistency is to find people who can demonstrate that they've been doing it for quite a long period of time and you know the 10-year sort of rule you know tends to apply to most industries in terms of experience Um, and i think that applies quite neatly uh, into fund management as well so we tend to look for the for the managers who can um, demonstrate uh, their longevity experience and knowledge in the marketplace so when you pick up a portfolio at lion trust You're not going to find too many surprises in there. You're not going to find, you know, we're not going out scouting for new talent. Uh, We don't need to take the risk in that respect. You know, we're trying to find managers who are established um, and they have consistency in their investment style and process. I think, you know, two of the biggest mistakes that um, fund buyers can make um, is is the way that they, they time their entry point into the market. You know, not only when they buy The market and you know the investment association stats demonstrate that on a very regular basis you see so often that the market reaches gets close to new highs and net sales into a sector funny enough you know peak um and the obviously the the um the opposite is true when when markets start to fall away you know you see net redemption start to 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 increase as well so you know hence the reason why you see a lot of this sort of You know, um, uh, academic work in terms of do you know retail investors or do investors really receive the returns of the markets? So I think that's one mistake. But there's even bigger mistake, and this is what I think we're we're definitely trying to avoid ourselves, and uh, uh, and that is the mistake around investment style as well. Typically, people go into the market. Uh, The market's been doing well, they buy the market at a high, so therefore, first of all, breaking the rule of buy low, sell high. And then the second thing they do, instinct says, you know, well, let's buy a fund that's been doing well as well. Uh, A fund that's perhaps outperformed over the last year, or as we know in this industry, the the magic three-year number. And that's where you make your second mistake. So you're buying the market at a high, and then you're buying a fund at a high. Now, the, the reason why that fund may be at a high, and what I'm talking about high here, relative to a peer group, relative to an index, sure. is probably because its investment style has been in vogue. So your disappointment is the market falls, the style falls out of fashion, and you know, you've just done a, a double whammy there. You've made two mistakes in one. So you know, what we're trying to do is you know, focus very much on the long term, be very patient with our investment. So in other words, you know, look for value. When we, when we see value, then we'll, uh, then we'll invest in it. But equally, when we're looking at the funds, hence the reason why consistency of invest, uh, investment process and style uh, is so important, is that when you see a manager that's been underperforming for a period of time, and you can understand that their uh, style and approach will not be suiting con- current conditions, well, uh, it's a pretty obvious thing to do is try and buy that when it's out of favour. It's an obvious thing to do, but I can tell you it's a very hard thing to do. And, you know, you need a process in place and you need to make sure that that process dictates that you are trying to do that all the time. Look, you know, we're, we're not, uh, you, know, um, you know, we're not perfect at all. You know, we, we make mistakes. Of course we do. But over the long term, you know, we think we make more good decisions and bad decisions. That's why we sort of, you know, back ourselves over the long term, not the short term. I always like to say, um, just for, uh, I always like to say to uh, advisors that our
0: sort of investment style is uh, in the fable, the tortoise and the hare. We're very much the tortoise. So, so what? Uh, I mean, if that, if that, uh, so, so clearly that, that's the focus now. What what kinds of funds are, are you are you looking at? Are you buying? Because there is at the moment this, seemingly this inflection point, or at least a lot of talk around an inflection point, a shift from growth to value. Uh, yeah, a shift from growth to value, and and those kinds of things. But that being said, uh, value value funds, value stocks have done pretty well already for the, the the last couple of months. And and in historically, a lot of the value rally happens quite quickly and and sort of early on in the cycle. Where are you looking? Are you are you buying into that? We're offering
1: you know core investment. You know we're offering um, core investment portfolios, target risk risk portfolios. We're not. Uh, as, as that would suggest, you know, we're not, once again, trying to go out on a limb here. We are tilting portfolios towards value, towards growth. Effectively, if you look at our, um, our equity holdings, um, you will see in most of the major categories, you'll see a value fund and a growth fund, and you'll see a small cap fund. Um, typically, we will hold equal weightings. Um, and as markets move, we'll look to rebalance them back to take a bit of profit. However, occasionally, we'll let, we'll let the winners run. Of course we will. Um, but we're not trying to be heroes here. We're not trying to say, right, OK, you know, growth has had a great run. Um, and now let's sell that down and, uh, you know, go all, in, all out in, in,
0: into value. Are you expecting that shift, though? I, I mean, how, how are you seeing the world in 2017? Is there very much a, a rotation happening, do you think?
1: yeah I think the um, I think if we sort of move away from this sort of investment style and perhaps a perhaps a bigger shift it comes back to um, you know that uh, higher growth higher inflation which leads to higher rates and the shift basically what that means and what that means for your your bond and bond exposure um, and um you know. When it comes to bonds, once again, you know, we run diversified portfolios. Our portfolios have 20 asset classes, 10 equities, five bonds, four alternatives and one cash. And that diversification, you know, we believe smooths out returns over the short to medium term. Look, if you want to invest in uh, uh, over the long term and you want the greatest, re- the, you know, the best return, I should say, then, you know, just get a portfolio and shovel it um, full of full of equities um, lock it away and don't look at it for 10 15 years because i can tell you that if history repeats then you know you'll have a positive return but we know that's not what people do so if you want to smooth out returns over the short term then diversify your portfolio by asset class by country region by investment style if you're going to accept diversification and you're going to accept that you know what you're trying to achieve in terms of return and smooth out and smooth out the returns in other words lower the risk, diversify the risk, then what you've got to accept is that when some markets are going up within your portfolio, some markets will be going down. Some funds will be going up. Some funds will be going down. So it's at moments like this where people look at their portfolios and start to look at the sum of the parts. They start to look bottom up, as, as they would say. They start to say, oh, that fund hasn't done well. That asset class hasn't done well. Let's just throw it all out. Probably at the wrong time. You know, diversification, if it hasn't worked 2008 was a great example late of, but you know there was a reason for that which is basically that was a liquidity uh, uh, reason but if diversification hasn't worked it hasn't worked for uh, on the on the good side on the upside of it all because all all of your assets have been going up all at once if diversification doesn't work it's actually been good for investors rather than than, than bad for, for investors but so um, i don't think uh, that means that you know uh, a higher Higher yields um, uh, means that you have to throw out all your bonds. The way that we're approaching it is I think you still need to maintain bonds in your portfolio, albeit at at a lower weighting, because they provide diversification. Things just don't go up in a straight line. There's no linear fashion in this industry. You know, we all like to draw straight lines from the bottom left to the top right. This doesn't it doesn't it doesn't happen things wiggle around technical term they wiggle <laughs> and when they wiggle under the line it's cheap and when they wiggle over the line it's expensive i mean that's probably what, what our job is to look at the wiggle in terms of the markets day in day out so bonds still provide you with that diversification and within bonds you can still find positive returns you can buy, find them in in high yield look at the last quarter high yield gave you a positive return the coupon basically b- bails you out but not only that the way that we're thinking about bonds is on a global basis and i think this comes back to basically one of the major themes of 2016 moving on, on, on forwards which is this sort of all these isms so globalism, populism protectionism and so they go on you know that globalism versus uh, populism I think is um, is basically having its effect. I don't think globalisation is suddenly going to come to an abrupt stop and it's all going to unwind people have got used to the fact of lower prices and greater choice and uh, I think that's very hard to take that away from people particularly the, the US consumer but what what it does mean it starts to question you know the synchronization of economies, whether that's economies within the developed markets, within the, the Western markets, or that connection with emerging markets. I think that economies are, uh, are unsynchronized. Whereas we went through a period you know in the noughties where basically people were talking about how the global economy was synchronized. Well, if it's unsynchronized, then that gives um, investment managers, particularly global bond managers, a diversified portfolio, a universe of opportunities. You know, I think it's fair to say that the US is at a lot different stage of its economy than perhaps where Japan is, where Europe is, and where the UK is, who knows where that is, but where the UK is and where it could be in the next 12 to 18 months. So I think in terms of bond exposure, I think going global is, is the right thing to do. But still people are concerned about where are they going to get their defensive-like um, asset classes uh, in their portfolios and most people have looked towards liquid alternatives. Mm. The challenge with liquid alternatives and I think we've all come to realise is that uh, most liquid alternatives have a have a benchmark which is cash or inflation plus but they have that type of short term type benchmark. Cash is a short duration asset. I mean that's the it is the definition of short duration. It is, yeah, it's the ultimate. And, and as such you know, where have you wanted to be over the last five years? Well, you certainly wanted to be in short-duration assets. You wanted to be in long-duration assets. So, therefore, when liquid alternatives, be it hedge funds or absolute return funds, have basically benchmarked themselves against short-duration asset classes, no wonder why they've been challenged. Going forward, if interest rates are rising, yields are rising, then surely short duration assets are a good thing so perhaps you know hedge funds and absolute return funds with the uh, bond uh, bull market coming towards an end perhaps this is where you really do get the benefits
0: out of those sort of liquid alternatives which are, have been growing in. which also goes to your point to some degree of of the fact that uh, you know if a style is out of favor or if a process is not working at one point in the cycle maybe it, it does work in, at a later point as well right. uh, John uh, talking about the UK specifically it does also feel like as though there's a, a, a split in opinion as to the, the the prospects for the UK over the course of the year partly I think because of Brexit but, but, but partly just because people are trying to get a grips with or to grips with where one goes from here, from a UK perspective, and it seems to, it seems to be very black and white. Either it's going to be pretty good, or it's going to be horrendous. Do you, where do you sit on that spectrum?
1: Prior to the to, to the referendum, I think it was fair to uh, to say that uh, the UK, the Bank of England, was second in the queue in terms of putting up interest rates. You know, um, post the sort of the, that referendum. The very next day the indication um, you know Mark Carney told you that uh, we're no longer going to be putting up interest rates uh, we've, we've moved from the front of the queue to the back of the queue actually we're more likely to put interest rates down whether that was a good thing or a bad thing by the way you know time will tell I think you know we're, we're you know this sort of instant gratification the impatience of uh, of investors you know always expects you know uh, something happens one day and then we see the full effect of it the next day Yeah, you know, simply that's that's not true these levers take time whether it's sort of 18 months. Or two years, it, it takes time. A lot of um, UK uh, companies which import their raw materials, you know, they're not silly. They, um, you know, they, they've been hedging uh, their currencies for for a very long time. So, if you have a currency hedge and you put it on your uh, your raw materials you're importing from Europe, and you put it in June last year, well, you're going to benefit from that until June this year. And so, therefore, you know, you you'll we'll be looking to perhaps. Put some uh, raise your prices somehow in between um, uh, those two periods, but for now you'll you'll be doing all right in terms of uh, you know, making money, making profitability. I think the way that the FTSE has been driven to new time uh, all time highs, and the, you know the the day after day after day of new time highs, has clearly been driven by the sterling and the effects of sterling. A lot of that is already in the price, and uh, uh, you know as you know the. Uh, you know the, the stock markets and the old Benjamin Graham you know very much work as the, as the voting machine and not the weighing machine and I think we're seeing the voting machine very much in evidence in the first few days of uh, of this year in terms of the FTSE in particular that sterling weakness of which we had another recent bout of it all has been sort of factored into share prices and I think you know uh, to some extent things have got ahead of themselves pre- pretty pretty uh, pretty quickly. You know, there's still uh, plenty of uncertainty of what Brexit really means. And will Brexit really, really, really happen? And I still have a little bit of me that says, do you know what? I still think there is still a chance that actually Brexit doesn't happen. How does that come about? I think it more comes about by more challenges within Europe, within the European project itself. You know, the, the Italian referendum and um, and then other votes that come within Europe. You know, the challenge of immigration is is, is a large one to resolve. You know, I don't know what the right answer is. You know, I'm not sure whether anyone really does at the end of the day. But I think that might put a lot of pressure on the EU. And I wouldn't be surprised uh, that, um, you know, that perhaps uh, at some point there there may be the branch that comes out and basically says, you know, you know, if we were to do this, you know, would you reconsider? Um, I wouldn't put a huge uh, bet on that, huge probability on it. But I still think there is still an outside chance.
0: Mm. Uh, very quickly talking about probabilities and, and and sterling as well to some degree, how important is currency going to be uh, how, how important a role is currency liable to play this year, given that we 're seeing uh, sort of still some vacillation in, in, in sterling and also the prospect of of a stronger dollar as well yeah i 'm glad you said the dollar because you know uh, clearly
1: you know sterling is is what we all think about, but you know I think um, you know clearly uh, you, know, you could be quite insular about that living in the UK. I often tell my clients as I'm wandering up and down the country. You know, uh, yes, yes, sterling's important. The UK and uh, the UK economy is important to you. But in terms of your investment portfolio, do you know what? You know, the global economy is far more important. What's going on in China, what's going on in the US is far more important to your investment portfolio um, than, than you're know, reading the headlines uh, uh, in, in the UK. And I think the dollar is, 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 the, is the key currency here. I think the dollar is the key currency not only for US growth, but also for emerging market growth. What we've seen uh, post uh, the presidential election is, is, is dollar strength. That dollar strength, you know, hasn't helped emerging markets in Asia. In fact, they're the only markets which one can say have lagged in the last uh, two or three months. And you know, if there is value within uh, within equities, and by the way, I can't see a whole deal of it. Um, you know, it's probably in Asia and emerging markets because of it. And I think the dollar is perhaps the challenge um uh in the us as well so you know higher growth um higher inflation uh and uh, higher rates uh but dollar strength um is 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 not not great for large us companies you know uh, exporters in, in particular um so um you know uh, and that coupled with that sort of globalization uh, and perhaps you know uh more stuff being onshored back into the US then as a result of that you're getting less choice and higher prices and so you know um, I think um, I think that the currencies um, have and will always be be quite important when we're investing we tend to think of the economy uh, the market um, uh, and the currency hand in hand um, and therefore you know we do have the ability to hedge there's plenty of hedge classes out there at the moment um, the only market that we continue to hedge is uh, is the japanese market uh, weaker yen basically has correlated very well uh, with um, uh, equity markets moving upwards um, and uh, in that case you want to be hedged so if you like japanese equities um, um, and uh, you believe that a weaker yen is the way to drive market prices in japan then you know, you should continue to hedge. John, thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And I also hope that you've had a very good start to the year and that it proves a very good one for you. If you do have any ideas on who you'd like us to speak to, please let us know, hashtag Podcast on Twitter.